0: Pulp MX Network Production.
1: Pulp MX fans, we're 550 plus shows and counting thanks to your support of our sponsors. Get the Pulp MX app for iOS and Android today. Save money with discount code Pulp at BTOSports.com and click the Amazon banner on PulpMX.com for all
0: other online purchases. It's the BTOSports.com Steve Mathis Show, presented by Fox Racing. RacerXOnline.com.
1: The original Moto Podcast featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews and race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's your host, Steve Mathis.
2: Welcome to the BTO Sports.com RacerX Podcast. Presented by Fox Racing. Hey, BTO Sports.com. Uh, anything you need for your biker body, they've got it handled. Best tire prices out there. Check them out online and uh, compare tire prices. Free shipping if you order a couple. And uh, we couldn't do it without those guys. Use the code PULPMX to save yourself some money on that. And of course, Fox Racing, the global innovation leader for motocross racewear. They got the, the Instinct Boot V4 helmet, Airspace Goggle, 360 Racewear. Uh, to fit adult and youth riders alike visit foxhead.com visit your local authorized fox dealer and uh, get yourself some of that all right thanks uh thanks for listening i'm steve mathis as usual with me on the phone all the way from new zealand uh we're thankful he can do this uh by popular demand too the fans on twitter you guys made this happen so uh here we go ben townley bt101 thanks for doing this welcome to the show
1: yeah, cool. It's not glad to do it. Should be uh, should be fun. I'm sure it'll uh, be interesting.
2: Yeah, I, uh, I yeah. People haven't heard too much from you lately. Obviously, you hung up the boots a little bit uh, from a full time serious racing career. So, uh, what are you doing? What is the life like for Ben Townley these days?
1: Uh, it's not not too clear just yet, to be honest. I'm I <laughs> i have not pretty uh, <laughs> pretty strong relationship with Honda in New Zealand and uh, mm-hmm. I'm a part of their, their program um, as an ambassador for the brand so that's something mm-hmm. that rolled in quite nicely when I uh, was, it was always uh, in the the plans for, for part of the brand here in New Zealand with my relationship with them but obviously mm-hmm. I kind of shut up short with racing um, from one day to the next type of thing without <laughs> anyone knowing and uh, so I rolled into that and uh, consequently Honda's racing uh, involvement here in New Zealand has been scaled back uh, from from the brand, and it's been taken on from a uh, um, private role. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm involved with with the owner of that. So yeah, a little little bit of this, a little bit of that. I tend to refer to myself at the moment as Jack Aldred's a master of none, really.
2: <laughs> and uh, so, how much do you get on the bike now, uh, and test, and and, uh, and ride, or do you ride for fun, or is it sort of more to figure things out for Honda?
1: Um, well we we uh, I had been doing a bit of riding um over the uh, last winter when I got so our our seasons obviously reverse from right. what, what you are in the northern hemisphere. So I rode a lot during the winter and you New know, Zealand riding during the winter is just incredible. It's like well, I've never ridden in the hills in California, but everyone seems to get so amped every time it rains there, and right. it's kind of like what it is riding in New Zealand through the entire winter. It's just it's um, it's a mecca for riding, and we have a lot of club events. So I did a lot of that stuff. I did did some different events that I've never really done mm-hmm. uh, during. You know, I did an endurance, a couple of endurance races actually, which was really cool, and kind of found out that it, it wasn't really my full cup of tea, especially the fast ones, but. Right. Um, did a bit of that, and just um, yeah, you know, a whole lot of, a whole lot of not a lot really, to be honest. with they just, um, and then yeah, the whole obviously, I, you know, my my role with Honda
0: mm-hmm.
1: has started to develop, and then that, that also developed into being a part of their racing plan here in New Zealand with the uh, establishment of a of the private race team, and mm-hmm. so that sort of consumed my life actually a little bit in the, in the past probably five months. So mm-hmm. I stopped riding exactly. 12 months to the, pretty much to the day and, uh, or racing, sorry, yeah, professionally, racing. and yeah. and um, in the last five months getting involved with this racing thing, man, it's taken, uh, oh, you're gonna... yeah, it's taken a lot of my time and, and uh, to probably the biggest thing for me is, I never saw myself doing that, so, right. you know, when I go back to your original question there what am I doing, well yeah, that's um, still sort of feeling my way into it and working out sort of where this goes, but I guess I'm Lucky to have, um, you know, have something for, to do right now and then put my focus into and But, yeah, it definitely has um, put my riding on the back step, that's for sure. on on uh, I haven't ridden a motorcycle, actually, for a, for a while now. So uh, it's been, yeah, well overdue. We've got one more round of our championship, to, and then I think I'll be back on the bike. I actually ordered some, some boots and a helmet the other day, so it's time to um, get back on.
2: Oh, here we go. Here comes the comeback again. I can sense it. <laughs> Well, how old are you? Oh, now? I
1: still love yeah. riding. Eh? I, I actually do. Like, I'll make no secrets about it. You know, there's probably people that sit there and say, you know, that that, ha- that have retired from racing that they don't miss. And that. but man I, I love it. I, I, if that's what drugs is like, I'm sure it's um, better than a drug. You know, like I love swinging a leg over and going riding. It does. I, I love trail riding, and you know,
0: yeah.
1: um, I really enjoy, obviously, getting on a supercross track when I can. Just sort of do it, do it at my yeah. uh, at my own speed, and then obviously motocross as well. So I just enjoy riding in general. So um, yeah, I know I, I do love riding, and I do miss the racing. I especially
2: mm-hmm.
1: miss the uh, the winning aspect of it. So it's nice <laughs> right, to be right. a part of a program that uh, is winning at the moment.
2: You, uh, how old are you right now?
1: Twenty nine.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's still young. Like still I figure you've been done racing a year, like you said. You know, so twenty eight, you hung up the boots um so yeah lots lots of time left to to do it again if you wanted to do it uh and sounds like you were fortunate enough yeah well
1: if i was in the if i was in the kajalski Larocco area era that yeah. would have been about the right time to hang it up but it seems yeah. that it's sort of uh, it's, it's lengthened itself out to mid 30s these days yeah
2: for sure uh and it sounds like you were lucky and fortunate enough to make yourself enough money where you don't have to figure everything out right now you can sit back and go hey this is what i this is what i want to do which is uh uh, good job by you, yeah. That, that, that's a, that's a nice way to do it.
1: Yeah, well, absolutely. But I, I guess I came from, you know, where I'm from and my upbringing. Uh, it's it's not a probably a, a Kiwi way of life to to be extravagant at all, especially mm-hmm. not from you know the, the way I grew up. And I earned really good money. You know, I had a great manager, and um, you know, <laughs> a lot of. Team managers and and brands probably um, didn't like him that much because he, he went to bat for me. You know, he was out there, um, you know, uh, looking after 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 me and, and only me. And um, you know, I've obviously done well financially, but a lot of that also came through through bonuses and success of, of doing well. You know, I, mm-hmm, for
0: sure. I
1: um, did when I when I was racing healthily, um, I did very well. You know, so. Um, you know, bonuses add up to a lot of that in our sport.
2: Yeah. So uh, with Coppins, you know, running Yamaha New Zealand and seemingly running Yamaha Australia, or I don't know what he's doing. Can you still talk to him, or now you and him are mortal enemies? Hey, he's a Yamaha guy, and you're a Honda guy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, not at all. Not, no, not at all. It's, um, it's man, it's it's very hard. The only people that will really comprehend this Are the are the listeners that are from either New Zealand or Australia And New Zealand even more to a more of an extent Because, um, you know, it's, uh, racing is just uh, It's a whole different level of professionalism here And uh, I guess Josh and I are trying to bring a lot of that mm-hmm. To the sport here in New Zealand But from what we, the level we have been at You know, in racing the world championship in, in America right. To even more of an extent uh there isn't any, any type of uh, team manager type of um, relationships like that at all. You know, we're obviously there for right. more for the, and I certainly can attest to this, is that we're more a lot of it to do with the sport and in general. You know, like uh, our sport's still very you know small, and um, I think a little, what we will bring to the table will be good for the brands, no doubt, for myself, for Honda. But mm-hmm. it will be great for the sport as well and, and, and putting the sport on the map more.
2: Right, right. Um, uh, the first time I would heard of you, uh, you started riding for um, – run for Vandervin, I think with Tyler, KTM days. How does a guy get from New Zealand to Europe? I guess, do you follow, like literally follow Coppins and call him and make contacts over there or – at some point, Ben, are you just whooping up in, in New Zealand and you're like, I gotta go to Europe. Like how does that how does that happen to where now I hear about you riding the GPs for Vandervan, and you're one of the top riders over there?
1: Yeah, having pretty fast. Like I growing up it's not a big scene here, what what you guys call amateur racing, we call that junior racing up till you're sixteen and I, I had a pretty big rival here in New Zealand and we sort of traded wins. Um he probably won more than I won at that at that stage in, mm-hmm. in our careers and then uh he was a year older, he went pro in New Zealand and then I went pro the following year and I finished second to him and a guy just out of the blue, totally I don't never really happened before us and definitely haven't seen it since and I'll be doubt if it ever happened again. Ah uh, started up a team, and he uh, he was a German guy
0: uh-huh.
1: with a heart rate monitor company uh, company, and in, uh, in Germany, and uh, he was looking further afield than just Europe. And he contacted the guy who won the championship, and he declined it, and oh, so he went to yeah. me. I was second, and yeah. and I said, yeah, hell yeah. At the time, mm-hmm. I didn't even really consider Europe. Yeah, you know, I knew about Europe through Shane King, Daryl King, and Josh. Right. But uh, my dream was just to race in America. I grew up, you know, it sounds cliche, but watching McGrath and Kodrowski, Larocco, people like that on, yeah. on TV and in magazines, and that's all I wanted to do was race in America. And when this opportunity came along, sort of at a crossroads, I was still at school, mm-hmm. and my parents were probably at the you know, end of their budget range to do something, and it was either I raced for an Australian team in Australia, which was all starting to fall into place. Mm-hmm. Or this opportunity that came along, and um, and I took it with just absolutely open arms. So I moved to Germany to race for this team, and uh, that all folded up about halfway through the first year. And I'd already shown flashes of of bits and pieces over there, and I got picked up by KTM on a satellite team, and uh, and that was 2001. And from the rode for that satellite team for a year, and then uh, I got moved shifted into the factory team, and and that's when you would have heard of me when I when I raced for Vanderveen
2: Mm. You know, I talked to Langston and Rattray and Josh all about this, and everybody sees you guys, uh, you know, winning races and, and making this money and being these heroes. But in, in talking to Tyler and Josh and Langston and even Chad—not so much Chad, but the other guys, anyways—like it's a lonely life in Europe. You're away from your family, long way away. You're not making much money. Chances are you're living in. An apartment with two or three other guys, and the, the weather is shitty in Europe, as we all know, for most of the time. Was it like that for you? Was there struggles where you were saying, "I don't know if this is worth it," or was it where you fast enough where you were like, "Hey, I'm making progress"? Or was there any like real tough times for you over there?
1: Well, to start with, I can't really speak for them, and I'd be surprised if Tyler and And Langston and Josh really had that opinion, but I can speak for myself is that my- prog- my progression rate was mm-hmm. was super fast, so okay. I got that opportunity and I moved there and i I couldn't have cared less what the weather was like or what was <laughs> going on you know in terms of the the tracks I rode All well, as far as I was concerned, yep. I had this opportunity that looked like a stepping stone to get to america for me and and all I was fixed on was racing and uh you know I grew up and growing up in New Zealand you have all four seasons, so it's not like the the weather was, you know, atrocious to me. You know, it rained, it snows in New Zealand. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, we have good summers and springs and autumn. So um, you know, for me it was it was no really different as far as the weather concerned. probably the hardest barrier was more the language, but at the end of the day,
0: yep.
1: once you're racing, um, there's no language barrier with that and um, I just I just really had this opportunity and there was no way that I was gonna Mm-hmm. Let anything come between it, and I was so focused on my racing. I was only sixteen at the time, with that opportunity, and um, oh, put my really- head down. All of a sudden, the progression, the progression just went, you know, just on a huge curve. You know, I set yeah. my goal the first year of finishing top thirty in the world. You have to remember, I wasn't like what you're seeing in this day and age of Adam. Cinderella or someone like that you know I just was plucked out of nowhere um, and given an opportunity no one knew who I was you know they could have bumped into the street bumped into me in the street and wouldn't have known me from any other guy so Mm -hmm. I just um, set my goals high and finished the 33rd so I just just outside of my goal the first year and then the second year was to finish uh, top 10 and I finished 7th and I won a round I should have won a couple of rounds finished on the podium about five or so times and and oh, okay. so the, the third year, my goal was to win the world championship, and, um, and yeah, I got injured. But, uh, yeah, my progression rate was really fast. So for me personally, I'd, um, living, living in Europe and uh, being on my own, that didn't really concern me. I was around a lot of other races, a lot of other foreign races right. more than anything, you know, Tyler and Josh and people like that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. It was just a whole life experience to learn the racing. You were 16. But I guess I, I guess I went with an open mind as well. Yeah. Because, you know, the fact of the matter for me was that I was all I was focused on was was America. That was all concerning concerned me, was trying to do as good as I could <laughs> in Europe in right. those first three years to then get me a launch pad into into America.
2: You were sixteen when you went there. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, sixteen. Yeah, yeah, that's that's crazy. So you win the M X two title uh, in O four. I think uh, you beat Rattray. Um... I think, was it one of the Purcells then? I don't know. Anyways, I remember Ratray gave you some... No, it was
1: Rattray, second, Karoli, third.
2: Karoli, third. Uh, at that point, are you already looking to USA, or, or did you have a contract where you were, like, stuck there and you were going to M- the MX1 class? Or were you already thinking, hey, I'm, I'm world champion, I got to go? Or was it sort of, hey, I'll stay yeah. one more year? Uh, Kurt Nichol
1: was out. He was the race. Racing director for KTM at the time, and right. he was really good to me. And like uh, KTM in general, you know, had supported me from that early stage. And I obviously had Glenn as my team manager, but I was, I was kind of on my own. And you know, Mum and Dad had had a lot of interest in uh, you know my racing still mm-hmm. for my entire career, but they weren't there at the coalface with me. And yep. I kind of had one foot sort of in in America in terms of my mindset of wanting to be there, but KTM basically um, turned my mindset into going M X one and having another year and that <laughs> I don't want to say they guilted me into it, but you know I was young, <laughs> yeah. I was only like, eighteen at the time to making that decision and it was I was winning the world championship and um, yeah, I probably the, the biggest um, if I look back I wouldn't, I don't want to call it a mistake, but um, uh-huh. the decision to actually stay M X one was okay. Yeah, but um, probably looking back, I wish at the time I'd gone to a Japanese brand. But I knew no different, and you know, I was so young. Um, you know, I had a good relationship with KTM, but looking back, that 450 yeah. was not not a great bike. And Suzuki, I had an opportunity to go Suzuki for for the really good money, and um, yeah, mm-hmm. I didn't do it, which is which is probably um, looking back uh, could have been a pivotal decision to doing better on MX One. So I, yeah, I won that the title in know MX2 yeah. world championship, and then I moved to uh, MX1 with KTM.
2: Yeah, people don't realize that, I mean, I don't, and I have that in my notes. These are no linkage KTM bikes that I mean are good, but yeah, they're not quite where what we see Ryan Dungey and Ken Roxon on the day. Um, but you gave—I up- don't
1: think for me there was the biggest part with the linkage, and I'll tell you why.
0: Okay,
1: I I, I pushed them to to start testing with the linkage, but really at that time I didn't have the weight that 10 world titles carries with it to get linkage (laughs) on the bike so we um, they actually had a twin camp engine that they tested with me during the 04 season Uh and I absolutely loved that bike it was just it was a a dream engine to ride it was so smooth and could allow you to put really good power to the ground I tested it a couple of times
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: that in the end is why I made the decision to stay KTM probably so that's all good. I won the World Championship. Um, we go testing and I probably, you know, uh at the at the stage was probably, you know, one of the fastest in the world championship at that time, M X one or M X two. I was pretty yeah. quick and then I'm testing that, that bike and I uh this is probably late November before before I come back to New Zealand for the off season and I go into a jump to scrub it and my, um, my body hits the kill switch, it was the angle, and I endoed, and I separated my AC joint, I came home, and oh. I was home for about three, four months during my off-season training. Mm-hmm. Went back, and they'd scrapped the engine, so they went back to a, a massive like, European power plant,
0: yep.
1: real Austrian type of thinking, and and I, I just battled the engine. Like I, it, but again, I was so young, and I didn't really realize getting a lot of power, didn't really correlate to getting hole shots and putting power to the ground. and It wasn't until about uh, probably the fifth round of the series and at that time I'd had Harry Nolter, who a lot of people right. know. Yeah. He'd been my engine guy at, at KTM, at Vondervien, for a few years. Mm-hmm. And I was really close with Harry. And I kept talking to him about it I was like, this is not working. And it, uh, there was a bit of a division between Harry's thinking and what the Austrians think. Right. So I just got to a point where I said that we've got to try something else. And Harry was like, try a stock bike so I literally bolted a stock engine into my factory bike and I went to the next round and I whole shot both motors and I won both motors and I won four motors in a row in the world championship on a stock bike and ah. we sort of developed that and the second half of my season was just yeah. a different I was a different rider because I had I had a bike that I could actually ride as opposed to an absolute rocket ship which is you know the KTM have no problem finding power in their bikes they never have and yeah, obviously that was a real big learning curve for me at that at that stage with um, you know setting up my bike because you know, when you're young you re- you rely on your you know the, your team and the personnel to really help you. And yeah. Obviously, I'd been in the wrong direction, and as soon as we changed that, man, I just I took off.
2: It's funny because uh, you say that, and uh, Harry Nolte too. Uh, if you ain't Dutch, you ain't much. Says still says that to me to this day. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, funny you say that because you know this past weekend we had Daytona Supercross. And Brock Tickle qualified like 16th, right? And he ends up getting fourth in the main event. And I'm talking to him after the race, and I said, uh, "What happened with qualifying?" He's like, "I don't know. I just I didn't feel good. My team made some changes to the bike, and it made it a lot better. And I rode it, you know, I rode much better in the main, and I got fourth. And I go, me being the next mechanic, I'm like, "Well, what'd you change?" And he's like, "You know what? I really don't know. The team just changed it for me." And I was blown away. I'm blown away. I'm like, you gotta know this stuff. Like you gotta know what, what's going on with your motorcycle. But good for Tickle to get fourth, but no. you know. So sounds like you were,
1: There's you a were big in, you the big thing with a four fifty these days is actually getting power to the ground. It's a major um you know, compromise of of make, making sure that you can apply mm-hmm. the amount of power you have into the actual dirt and um yeah, that so that was a huge learning curve for me and um it was hard to get my head around at the time but i had, you know, a great relationship with Harry, and he was sure it was going to work. And obviously, the evidence was: as soon as I did it, I I won four motos in a row, yeah. and I almost won the next round as well. Actually, Josh ended up winning that. We I think between Josh and I, we we won eight motos in a row um, within within four rounds. So, yeah, yeah that's um, something for me that yeah stood out in my career and the decision I made to to go take him at the time.
2: You. Uh... Yeah, you give Everts a lot of trouble. You and Josh give Everts a lot of trouble that year, but he ends up winning. So now, and again, I'd already heard of you and all this, and a lot of people in the know had heard of you, but if they hadn't heard of Ben Townley, the Motocross the Nations that year, I think the only guy to beat you was Ricky in France. Uh, and That really put you on the mark. At that point, how did you – you took that great ride and you came to the U.S., but it was, it was kind of like a Reed scenario where he had to go to the small bike. You went to Mitch Payton's team. Did you not have anything from KTM to go stay in the 450 class or move to the small class? Or how did the Mitch Payton thing come along after your great uh, MXDN ride?
1: Well, oh, that's a pretty good story. That just the MX down on its own. I, the weekend before, it's the last final GP that I was racing as an island, mm-hmm. and we got a call. Uh, Daryl Hurley was was uh, he was slated to ride MX three, so on a four fifty It was yep. Josh and Hurley on four fifties, and I was going and dropped down because oh, okay. I was going to America. I was dropping down to ride MX two, Right. but then he got injured, and so they bought Cody Cooper on the MX two and left me on a four fifty. So that was um, yeah, that was pretty cool. That was. To me, that's the highlight of my career, that race. Oh, I mean. is it really? You know, oh, yeah. Uh, probably, okay. Yeah, the best I ever rode in, 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 on one single day. You know, the, the fastest I ever rode. It was, um, yeah, and most enjoyable And I just uh, went out there.
0: Yeah.
1: Obviously, with um, nothing in mind but to try and hang on to the back of our And, you know, he was at the, probably know, at the peak of, well, you know, in, in great form anyway at that time in his career. It's always hard for someone like Aussie to go to Europe and race on that style of track. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that I would have been anywhere near to him if we'd been at Southwick, but you know, in on those conditions that day, um, I felt really comfortable and then I gave it the best crack I could. So, you know, yeah. I was stoked with that. That was a big stand out for me. But in terms of year coming to the U.S., about halfway through the the season, because this is back when <laughs> back when deals were done. Probably after the first couple of races yeah, of yeah. your season, you're starting to get ready for your next season. But um, I actually had already got a deal done with uh, American Honda. I'd signed a contract and everything, but I hadn't sent it back. Oh, okay. And uh, we, we notified that was because I wanted to race 450, so I was going to race lights, indoors, and then move up to race 450 outdoors.
2: For the factory guys. And then for just got the- it. Added-
1: yeah, yeah. For That's American it. Honda, I'd signed right, right. the contract. It was all done. Okay, and I, I'm, I, I'm, uh, so I was going to a GP that weekend. So probably back then, just being too unorganised and useless, I didn't get the contract <laughs> sent. Right, and um, was driving to the race, and just out of courtesy, I called Mitch to let him know, and <laughs> and he just absolutely just just let loose about it. He was there was no way he was <laughs> um, going to let that happen, and he obviously doesn't have the well, I don't know if it's still that way, but at the time, didn't have the greatest outlook on American Honda in terms of you know his relationship with them, and um, he quickly hung up the phone. And within the next couple of hours, this is I'm driving to a race, I've been phoned by Mikhail Bishan and Ricky Carmack on and why I should uh, make the decision to to sign with Pro Circuit, and pretty much that's what convinced me. Really, uh, huh? And then that was wow. uh, I went home and I tore that contract up and signed with Mitch and um, that's yeah, obviously the rest is history
2: <laughs> you uh, so I turned down a factory Honda ride just yeah see ya that's ballsy BT that's ballsy yep. um, and Mitch had his recruits too because he still talks to Pishon. he loves Pishon. Pichon loves him so he had Pishon and Ricky putting the full press on you I like it that's good
1: yeah that's clever yep, yeah. Uh, so I was, I was um, that was obviously for me a big decision in my career going to America I at, by that time and what I discovered with with racing with KTM, um, I started to put obviously a lot more interest into the motorcycle as opposed to yeah. you know just how much money I was going <laughs> to earn with the contract, and right. worked out that the linkage system or the, the PDS system wasn't really cutting the mustard in America, yeah. and I need to be on a Japanese bike. And uh, so yeah, that's obviously like the option between American Honda and and, uh, and Pro Circuit. And, um, that was um yeah, a good decision obviously on my behalf at the time and then Josh weighed in a lot on that probably. Did he? Yeah, yep, he did. Yeah, you know, Josh and I lived together at the time. So mm-hmm. we sit um, you know, sit on the couch in the evenings and talk about it and he used to give me a lot of advice and um and he as far as he was concerned that was that was a good decision to, to go pro circuit.
2: You turn on the T V, you're like, Let's see how Langston's doing on the KTM two fifty. Let's see how that's <laughs> Oh look, it's not working out. Oh, um Well, yeah.
1: it was probably more it was probably more um McGrath, you know, that didn't go True. too yeah, well.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh you probably took a hit in pay going with Mitch, I would imagine, from the Honda deal. But may- maybe not, but I would think you did. So that's you know, again you had something in no, mind. No, no, I didn't really. Oh, okay. Uh, not in the
1: end because that's I said like financially it needs to be better and then we worked it out and uh obviously through Mitch's relationships with you know, because you go all inclusive with them you don't you don't do anything outside of yeah, it You know, that's that yeah. you you're locked up and uh he leaned on a few of his partners like he always does with <laughs> with special uh, you know yeah. as you're aware of you know special yeah. cases with links uh with uh, tyler and and Wilson in the past yeah. few years and he did the same for me obviously it just wasn't so um and it wasn't no public knowledge outside of it but yeah, the yeah people stepped in and supported it and uh, obviously you know i was uh, at the time I was in good form in my career, so you know, I was expected to go there and do well. And uh, obviously, yeah, we all know the history of the first season, but um, I feel like I, I did my job in the second
2: season. Yeah, you uh, it was an ACL in 06 o- in when you got here. Um, I
1: don't yeah, know, so yeah. I, I moved to the end of our so after an I moved straight to America, and then uh, ACL like phew, it must have been three weeks before
2: Atlanta. Oh. And, uh, yeah, but yeah.
1: it was end of January, I did my ACL.
2: Yeah, geez. Um, how did the training and riding and living with Ricky go? About did Mitch set that up? Did you figure it out? How did that all come about? Because you you stayed there for a number of years.
1: Yeah, it all started from that conversation I had oh, okay. with uh, with Ricky, really, because obviously you know I took home, and then yep. that was all there was to do with that. And then I started to obviously, you know, once I'd time with Mitch, start to make plans of what I was going to do and how the process was going to work moving there. And then I thought to myself, you know, I'd spend actually quite a considerable amount of time in California um, previously to that just on on riding trips. And
0: Mm
1: -hmm. it's not – California just isn't my cup of tea in terms of the population size, man. I I just don't do well with um, sitting in in traffic jams and stuff. And I just – just for me personally, that was a major turnoff to – to move in California, not not for anything else aside from just the, the sheer population. You know, I'm, right. I'm a fairly small town, and you can go where you want when you want and do what you want when you want type of thing, you know. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't based around having to deal with traffic, and that wasn't a, yeah, a big decision for me. But obviously, mm-hmm. you know, another major part of that was with Alden and looking at, you know, how I, at that point in my career, I decided I wanted to put absolutely 100% of what I could um, to, to then reap the reward, and I felt like if I could get myself into a position with Elden and obviously be be alongside Ricky as well, mm-hmm. um, could certainly you know do no harm at all. so I, yeah. I pursued that, and, and was able to work that out. At the time, obviously Ricky was starting to scale things down because that yeah. was at the point when you know he, he never really let anyone see the inside of of uh, any of his camp whatsoever. At that point in time, you know it was that gnarly. When I first arrived, uh, I, I wasn't even allowed to do a photo shoot out there because they didn't want photographers putting,
0: oh, putting really? out photos
1: or video of anything, anything inside that gate. That, yeah, yeah. You know, that was pretty <laughs> – it gives you an idea of, of, uh, idea of how um, sort of isolated he was in his training
0: program.
2: Yeah, yeah, but it was a great move on your part, no doubt. I mean, uh, it's like you said, uh, it's out in the middle of nowhere, but that's perfect. That's exactly what you want to just get ready and – and ride and everything else. What? Yeah, but I
1: tell you what. What? I, I tell you what. Looking back, I I don't think it was a good idea on my behalf because I believe I would have been way better. I anyone that ever asked me for advice and going forward is that the second year is is the best time to do it because the first year you need to be around your team. To give you an idea, when oh, I first yeah. started riding supercross, I was three to four seconds a lap slower than Ricky. Mm-hmm. I could, not that I ever had a problem with confidence because I just knew I was you yeah. know, still getting my feet wet.
0: Right.
1: But, like, I, I was getting handedly lapped. Like, just just <laughs> he you know, did a lot of pr- practice. Uh, he does uh, a split work with the track, you know, breaks yeah. into sections. Right. And he would be just easily a second half to two seconds faster just in a section. And I think more than anything, it was being around a team and being in an environment where they're always helping you set your bike up. So I'd go mm-hmm. there, do a bit of testing, and go back to RCs for a period of time and then go back to California whereas when you're learning supercross you need as much help and advice from your team as you possibly can and yeah. Bones and Mitch are so good at working with young people and yeah. not that I was young but I was inexperienced with at supercross Superphase, and I right? should have stayed there the first year and being immersed in the supercross you know like at RC's at the time he had one track so I, I rode on one track and, and um, I, you know, he could see that it was challenging for me so he actually Turned the track around, took half of the side of the uh, triple off so we could ride the track backwards as well. So I had oh. another option, and yeah, yeah. I just should have been in California for that first first season yep. to actually have help from my team and ride against people my speed. Yep. <laughs> when you're riding against people that are four seconds of that you, faster, you, it's it's not really helping you at all.
2: You went and, from uh, you, you so went. Yeah, that,
1: I, I wouldn't say that's a regret on my behalf, but yeah. it's definitely a a decision that was. Um, that probably, uh, you know, Mitch pushed for me to be in California, and, and the only reason he let me go to Florida is because of RC and Eldon. But right. really, it's probably, um it was a year too early. I should have gone there for the second season.
2: It's like someone being like, uh, hey, I want to learn how to play baseball. Uh, let me step in the batter's cage against Randy Johnson, who you don't know who that is, but, you know, one of the most dominating pitchers ever. You know what I mean? Like, hey, let me learn Supercross. Oh, and let me learn with the no. best ever rider—you know, the best rider in the world at the minute. Like, I totally get what you're saying. Yeah, you're like yeah. Well, oh.
1: you just—you just drew a really good comparison. It's not like I had no experience at all riding a motorcycle, but yeah, it was very but, limited in supercross, and, yeah, yeah. and I needed the support of of you know, Mitch and Bones and Zach, and and you know, right. even to learn with my mechanic as well, who I'd brought over from Europe. So we—I needed to be immersed in that, and the culture of supercross in California is huge, so. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. um something that I would definitely do differently. And when Tyler first moved there, you know, he wanted to do exactly what I did, and I said, "Man, yeah, if you wanna, if you really wanna have a good go this, live in California. It's yeah. the best way to learn Supercross."
2: Yeah, no doubt about it. You're right about that, Mitch. Mitch is real big on the internal competition with the four guys and getting them out and all riding against each other and stopwatches and all that, and it does nothing but help. Like Adam really was just telling me how. In November, he was three seconds off of Davalos, and he was all depressed. But you know what? Look at him now. He learned, right? He learned from the team carrying him around. So, um,
0: yeah,
1: absolutely. And as you develop, your bike needs to develop with you. You know, you, you're you know you're going through the. The whoops probably a second faster just in the whoops from yeah. the time you start learning them to to you know when you get into your season. So um, I never I never forget RC telling me as I was going into my second season, he said, "You will find this like you're floating over top of these jumps compared to climbing mountains before."
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, probably a good point. Uh, ben Townley on the uh, Racer X BtoSports.com Racer X podcast presented by Fox Racing. BtoSports.com. Use the code PulpMX to save yourself some money. Check out their tire prices; it's the best around. And of course, Fox Racing, the official gear of Ryan Dungey, Ken Roxon, Brock Tickle, and many more. Check them out: Foxhead.com, or go to your local authorized Fox dealer. BtoSports.com. RacerX podcast presented by Fox Racing. Hey, I want to talk about privateers and what they choose for suspension. Yeah, that's right. Some of the top privateers, most of the top privateers out there choose Racetech. Long been supporting the world's fastest privateer since 1984. Michael Leeb, Vince Fries, Chris Blows, Cody Gilmore, and many other guys uh, choose uh, race Tech suspension. And they've been a long, around a long time. And their, their work stands for itself. Don't forget, people, at least uh, change your oil in your new bike and use race Tech to do it. Some of that stock oil isn't that good. Uh, Race is the world's largest aftermarket motorcycle suspension modification company. 30 years they've been supplying racers, riders, and tuners with the industry's best suspension products. Paul Thie, the owner of Race Tech, one of the smartest guys out there, and uh, the creators of the do-it-yourself gold valve kit. It's a revalve in a box. Racetech.com for a full listing of suspension parts, tools, and information. Racetech. Go there. Make your bike handle better. Do it. RaceTech.com. Thanks for listening. And we're back with Ben Townley. Uh, and so BT, the next year though, so 07, um, just a great year. You win the Supercross title, something that people, a lot of people, have thought you couldn't do. You win the uh, 250 East Supercross title, and in the Nationals, it is you and RV bar to bar. I, I, my recollection, recollections of that Nationals are. You guys never being more than two bike lengths apart. It was uh, a phenomenal year for both of you. He ended up taking the title. You were not far back, and there was no one else. Metcalf came in at the end and got third a few times, I think, but you two guys just dominated that summer. That was a great year for you.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm really surprised. I'll go back and about the Supercross. I'm really surprised that people thought I couldn't win. I'm, I'm, I don't really... Uh, As far as I can see, you know, I was no different to, you know, someone like Chad Reed or Pichon coming in. It surprises
2: me. Mm -hmm. Well, I think the French are always good at Supercross, right? So it was always like, ah, the French guys that have the Supercross academies, and they're always good. I remember Reed. I was at Yamaha when Reed came over, and it was like, yeah, this guy's pretty good. He'll figure it out. He'll get his feet wet, you know, and and he'll do well. But can he win? Ah, I don't know. And of course, he dominated. He won every round, every (laughs) round but one, right? So I think it's I think and I'm Canadian, so I'm not fully American, but I think it is a little bit of the American thinking, and by myself maybe included, because I've been down here so long. It's like Supercross is for Americans. We figured it out. <laughs> These guys don't know it. I don't know. I don't know. But you raced uh Ryan Morris, Darcy Lange, um who I don't know who else Tyler Bowers, I think, was in there. And uh yeah, you puty, yeah, Ryan Dungey. Um that one Matt, that had been pretty nice. That was I remember it went down to the last round, didn't it, it was a pretty, pretty dramatic last. Yeah, round. Yeah, only because I
1: hurt my bike broke the first round. That's right. I, um, that's right. I landed a triple, and it came out of the turn onto the start sheet, and it spent the the coming out the bottom of the engine.
2: <laughs> You're like, oh hey, thanks, thanks, Mitch. Um, uh, that's right because we were just talking about how uh, he blamed it on me. Actually. Oh, he did.
1: He blamed it on me and the way I changed gear.
2: um but uh it had to be pretty nice to win the supercross title you you did what you know you you, uh did what you accomplished to come out and do and then the nationals that summer i mean again right no the
1: supercross series was good like for me personally i went into atlanta um i had to go through the bloody lcq get there (laughs) wash the front and um couldn't get the bike started quickly enough to qualify so LCQ, I started in gate, what is it, 19 or 20, right. uh, pretty much pulled the whole shot, I think. Um, but then you snuck around the inside, and then I was all over him in the first few laps, and then my bike, obviously, had yeah. a DNF, and then I went into the second round, I won the second round, I won the third round, I think I won the fifth round, and or the, in the sixth round, something like that. So yeah. Yeah. It was a pretty good um, series, apart from... Uh, apart from the first round, I don't yeah. think I was off the podium. So, you know, I was, I did do well. Uh, probably like some of those names you mentioned, you know, um, mine had being the strongest girl, I'm not sure. You know, I, I didn't worry me at, at all. You know, yeah, yeah. at the end of the day, I won the title. I raced because I had to race and mm-hmm. uh, went to Vegas. Uh, I didn't even want to race Vegas, actually. I tried to get out of it. <laughs> okay. and, um, and then. Uh, that I pulled a hammy. And then, um yeah, I went to Vegas and I dropped the chain off. So that was disappointing because I was going to get to race against RV. and Yeah. I don't even know who was on the other coast, but RV obviously won it. And now uh, you're going to get to race him. So that was disappointing for me. And then, yeah, that rolled straight into the outdoors. And um I was concerned about racing uh, east coast because I wanted to race west so that I could have that time in between. But mm-hmm. actually... As it turns out, it's actually better to race East because you just carry on racing. You know, you go yeah, from yeah. one week into the next and you're still racing. And I was uh, probably concerned because i come from that GP background of, you know, having about five months of testing and riding and preparation right. to then going into and from, uh, from Vegas to Hangtown in five days. Yeah. Just it didn't make a lot of sense to I me. And I, I was concerned. <laughs> but yeah, it turned out that it's actually a blessing in disguise to race East. Yeah, you just keep rolling, and um, you know, like uh, we had a good setup with the bike, and especially when you're with Proseck, you know, you, you know you're, the bike's never a question. At the end of the day, it comes down to yourself. So I was ready to go, and yeah, I won Henkel, which was my first uh, first national I mm-hmm. uh, uh when And and then you... there was a close championship, you know, like um yeah, the whole way. And at the end of the day, RV was a better rider. Uh, came down to the last last round, but. Two rounds prior to that, Steel City and uh, Steel City, and it was uh, what's the Texas round? Called?
2: Texas, yeah, Freestone.
1: Milestone. one, Freestone. Freestone, yeah. yeah, Texas, yeah. Uh, Steel City and Freestone. That's where he beat me in the championship. I think going out of the ninth round, yeah, we were going into the tenth round, round ten, we were tied on points. I think oh, I might have been one point ahead actually, yeah. and then um, he beat me in round round 11, uh, ten and eleven. That's where he he got the title um. Stroop he was doing his first race pro oh that's
2: right yeah. and I remember this literally
1: <laughs> he, he starts in gate like 20
2: right. being an R V
1: and and on the inside being playing it safe he swoops across and hits RV who hits me and then I'm on the ground and I just the first thing I do is I get up and I just scan around to see yes it's awesome V's on the ground as well Got and then it. but he rode better than me. He came through, and that's when he started to inch away. And then at um, yeah. Freestone, he absolutely whacked me. Absolutely whacked me. And then, uh, yeah, it was, it was all over well, by the time we got to Glen Helen. Yeah, that's bloody RV's home. And But I managed to take a motor there as well. So um, I, at the end of the day, yeah, he was a better rider, and it was a great championship. I loved it. I yeah. think, obviously, I was um, in physically in great shape, and it made going to, going to the races easy um, in terms of, you know, the shape that I was in for that, that year.
2: And you guys seem to get along okay. I mean, it, it was a tooth and nail battle, and you guys—I—I I, seem like you—you lo- know—we had some good laughs in the truck. It never seemed to get real serious, and I think that's—that's that's a real credit to both of you guys.
1: Yeah, it's probably more to do with Mitch than anything. Um, more than anything. You know, at the end of the day, he gives you the best motorcycle out there between him and Bones and, and Zach and Aaron. You know, it's a massive team effort. The, mm-hmm. the word team pro circuit, epitomized that, and I learned a lot about that. You know, I was in my early 20s and understanding it and having, you know, getting a little bit wiser in that and then understanding it. And But, you know, there was no question mark over the bikes. You know, we had identical bikes apart from our suspension sitting in our bars pretty mm-hmm. much. And um you knew that once you went to the gate, at the end of the day, it came down to yourself. Um, there was, right. There's no other question mark um, other than that. And so really you just go out and, and did your thing and um you know we we battled close at times, yeah. really close. Um, I don't think we we really ever pushed it over the boundary line. Um and uh, and I think, you know, we respected that and uh it was good racing. I really enjoyed it. I mean I'm not really one to um although we might talk about that later, but I'm not really one to get into rubbing plastic and um and I think if we had, Mitch would have stepped in and, and um, drawn the line on that. But uh, yeah, it was good close
2: racing. Yeah, for sure, it was a, it was a good year. So you you didn't uh, didn't want to stay at 250 class anymore. You were gone. You signed a deal with Honda. But if I recall, uh, Motocross Nations, Bud's Creek, uh, 2007, you tore up your shoulder. Which uh, you know, I don't had you signed your Honda deal yet, or I don't know how that worked, did, or did, were you going to?
1: Yeah, yeah, I signed with Honda. Okay. Had, I think at Detroit when I won the title. Oh so wow! Okay, I should have stayed yeah. with Mitch. Mitch wanted me to stay. His right. advice was, you still don't have enough experience. You should stay. And uh, all I was thinking was four fifty. Stuart yeah. was not racing outdoors. Arcee had retired. Yeah, I think I don't even know if Reed was ra- wasn't racing outdoors. Probably as well. All I was thinking was outdoors.
0: Yeah,
1: and uh, riding a four fifty, and yeah, it was it's a. Um, yeah, you know, looking back I I probably should I should have stayed pro circuit. Mitch really wanted me. That was his advice to do another year and I was I was just too far ahead of myself at the time thinking mm-hmm. about the four fifty and um yeah, the opportunity like it was like it you know, for me that that's what I thought at the time was the pinnacle of um you know of racing with the ride for Honda and, you know, R C obviously had left it left Honda and there was a you know major gap there that they hadn't won and I thought that I could go on to a 450 and in my mind said I could at least outdoors do really well and, and try and win a championship so that was mm-hmm. what was going through my mind so yeah I was signed early in 07 and uh, I went to Bud's Creek and uh, come up over Henry's Henry's Hill or Leap whatever it's called and yeah. I was coming through on a qualifying lap and as I leant over to scrub over the top of like Drag a foot peg, and I actually dragged my whole uh-huh. left leg uh-huh. off, and I did a neck neck pretty much off to one side, and Jeez. I was just a no man's land. You know, it's like a huge, massive amount of elevation change off the top of that. You know, I went up before I even went down, and yeah. then uh, injured my shoulder, and that was the the start of uh, two years of, of a shoulder problem, which was probably misdiagnosed to begin with, and that's kind of what yeah what really slowed me down.
2: Yeah, I was gonna I was looking at the Racer X Vault. And I knew you didn't do that many races for a Factory Honda, but it says here you only did two. I, I I thought it was more. I thought it was more. I thought, I mean, I would have said five. You know what I mean? But so basically, through shoulder injuries, you made it uh, to Glen Helen, and I remember you struggled. They said your shoulder wasn't 100%. So you got a 14th. You go to Hangtown, you get a 6th on the Factory Honda team. You missed Supercross, of course, for, from a shoulder injury. And then. Uh, what happens after that? The shoulder, same shoulder again, um, jacks you up.
1: Well, uh, Glenn and Helen don't Fourteenth, it doesn't sound. Right. Oh, yeah, my bike stopped. Yeah, oh, okay. I was battling with. Tell me, were you as mechanic then?
2: Uh, nope, not 08. I was done by then.
1: All so. oh, right. Yeah, I um, I was doing. I think I think I was third. Yeah, my bike stopped. Something was wrong with it. But yeah, after Hangtown, I was just struggling. I couldn't. get yeah. got to the point where I. Was struggling that much with, with fatigue in it because of the, the problem I was having, and mm-hmm. um, I just uh, yeah I said to to everyone involved I need to get this sorted out, and so then I had surgery on it, mm-hmm. and got all the recovery, all the rehab that took me to like oh it must have been late November,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: I was you know obviously slated to start the new season, and '09 uh, mm-hmm. at Anaheim, and my shoulder still wasn't right. I, I started riding, and all my I couldn't do my strength training properly. I, I felt weak with my shoulder and positioned on the bike, and I'd had enough by that point. I was like, this is crazy. You know, yeah. this started over a year ago now, and so then I sought more advice, and, you know, that took the whole of 9 pretty much. And that's uh, when, um, you know, I decided to step away a little bit in terms of riding to get, you know, get my, my health back.
2: Yeah. I had heard, and maybe you can confirm this, did you tell Honda, hey, don't pay me? Did you, did you? Uh... Yeah,
1: well, what I, I wanted to, I wanted to move home for a while. Okay. And uh, part of the, with the carry-on and my contract on how it was, how it was written is I had to be there in prison at events and doing, oh, okay. doing my thing yeah, yeah. Uh, at events. And I, that just didn't interest me. I didn't want to be, I'd already done that the previous year yeah. in 08. And I was like, no, I'm I'm done with that. I just want to had some time for me. You know, uh, to put it in perspective, that might sound crazy to people, but I'd left home when I was just turned 16 years old.
2: Yeah.
1: And, like I'm, you know, you could count probably, you know, the amount of days that I'd spent in New Zealand. Right. Uh, from when I was 16 to when I must have been 24 at the time. Yeah, yeah. So I was ready for a bit of home time. And, you know, living in America, you don't go home in terms of, your home is where you, you know, my home was being at the time was Tallahassee in Florida. So Mm -hmm. I'd spent so much time away from home and with the injury and I was just at the point where I needed a little bit of a a break from it, to be honest, with dealing, you know, I'd started to deal with a couple of major injuries with the ACL that at the time, um, you know, looking back, took that takes a lot out of you. And then, you know, with the dealing with the shoulder injury, so I Said, you know, part of it was they discussed that I'd be involved still at the races and attending for for my sponsors, and I right. just didn't. I just didn't want to do that. I wanted some time at home, and um, that's what I decided to do.
2: You were like, "Hey, I gotta go. Keep your money. I gotta, I gotta go." <laughs> um, yeah,
1: yeah, pretty much. Yeah,
2: right. Um, and then uh, 2010. So you get healthy. There must have been some dark days in there, huh? BT, like where you were just, "What am I doing? What have I done wrong? What's happening?" Am I cursed? That type of stuff?
1: No, no, I don't, not at all. You're not like that? No, surprisingly not. I don't, don't really, that, I think that, that part doesn't come into a couple more years down the track. (laughs) No, not at all. (laughs) I was, you know, like I said, I wanted to, I made that decision. I wanted to, I didn't want all the sponsors and, you know, partners involved with me to have a sour taste about, you know, about me. That's why I still maintain those relationships, but without, Mm-hmm. any payment for the you know for services or anything and right. so I still had really good relationships with everyone and so that was all the way through 09 with that neck shoulder surgery so I finally got to the point I think it was late must have been late October, November of 2009, and that's when I made the decision. That's it, not no more supercross.
0: Yeah,
1: um, that I'm I'm done with supercross. I, you know, I had come home, and um, probably you know that that was really the decision was I enjoyed being home a lot more. It was similar to racing in Europe, but I could probably spend even more time at home. So mm-hmm. I decided um, throw a line in the sand and said motocross only. And that's when I started working on the deal to get back for 2010 for the outdoors. Yeah struck a really good deal with TLD to be able to do that, and, um, yeah, and then he got injured again right before the outdoors, like, yeah, uh, literally a few days out before the in- uh, uh, outdoors started.
2: Well, you rode the GP at Glen Helen. Was, were you hurt then, or was it after that, even? Or No, I, I went hand-cow and then GP. Oh, did? Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. You were, yeah. I mean, I what did you get, fourth that year, 2010? Outdoors? Yeah,
1: I was just because of the pre season, I I had a really good pre season. I raced in New Zealand, so our season you know, our race mm-hmm. season, like I was saying earlier, sort of October through March. Yeah. So I did all my racing in New Zealand, I raced what we call New Zealand Supercross and, and all our major events. We don't really have a national series apart from four rounds, but we have a lot of major big events and so I did all that racing. And I was ready to go, um, you know, in terms of my total preparation. I was healthy. That was, yeah. that was the number one. Uh, number two, you know, I had a really good bike and I was back at the time, um, Bones and Mitch had a lot of, uh, a, a lot of weight in terms of, you know, their mm-hmm. bike and inside that, um, TLD uh, team, and that's probably pretty much why I went. There, I had at the time there was a valley around, and yeah. um, I think it was, was it Rockstar Suzuki. I can't remember what it was, but I had options in a few different places. But I actually went TLD based uh-huh. on the fact that Mitch and Bones uh, had a lot of influence when it inside that team, and that's that's pretty much what
0: yeah. shielded
1: it for me. So yeah, I had a really good offset, everything was pointed in the right direction, you know. And um, yeah, they're not you know. I've, I uh, hit the handlebar for my stomach, and uh, I lacerated um, something inside my stomach. And um, mm. yeah, that was not too far out from outdoor and That's why my season really didn't take off until halfway through because I didn't train for a, for quite a few weeks and lost a lot of progress and never really got to do my testing heading into into Hangtown, And um, it was a shame really. I was um, yeah. could have been. Would have been a hell of a lot better. So um, yeah, in this day and age, uh, as we've seen with Milsats last year and Supercross, modern-day motorcycles out of a factory can be developed to yeah. be a competition with, with factory motorcycles. And I had absolutely, I in my mindset, there was I had no problem with going down the route of TLD with the help of Mitch and Bones, Absolutely yeah. none at all.
2: Yeah, it was a pretty good summer, like you said. You you got a second at thunder valley a third at redbud uh redbud you were that was incredible first moto where all three of you guys were right up going for the lead uh near the end of the moto Washugal you crashed out in but i mean overall you had to have been you had to have been happy with that season um it, it was a nice yes, nice yeah nice. could have
1: been really good but um <laughs> like i think all three honda was That's short, right yeah short myself yeah Metcalf, <laughs> And I think, was it Regal or something? We, I think all of our bikes, something freakishly happened to yeah. our bike thing. Many ran out of gas. I I did something. Did short. short run out of gas as well? No,
2: Short had electrical, or did he run out? No, he had electrical in practice, and then oh, he ran yeah. out of gas in the moto. No, he ran out of gas in the moto. I think yeah. I locked
1: mine up. I think mine locked <laughs> up. But anyway, we all four had problems. I yeah. should have. Yeah. Had a really good day. I think I led the second motto for quite a long time. Um yeah. and the first motto was Met Calf and I battling until my bike locked up. So Yeah. Yeah, it's um yeah, it was a good season. I really enjoyed that season as well, actually, to be honest with you. know, it was yeah. a um there's not, not a lot of expectations apart from go out there and, and do the best I could and uh I loved that bike. I was back living in Florida. I um had a sweet practice track, Millsaps. Davey had his own piece of property in um, mm-hmm. in Georgia as well, uh, and that was oh it's Israel Lusso's old place. Oh yeah, so I yeah. hired that off him. Yeah. I had um, I was set up there. That's a really cool track, and um, I just yeah really enjoyed it to be honest with you. And uh, then uh, yeah, I mean you had finished uh, off with um,
2: you'd been off for two years. It was fo- it was yeah it was a good job. You know what I mean? Like uh, uh, again, two years of racing and and the, the the level keeps raising up, and you came back and. I mean, you ran top five for the most part, if not better. So
1: yeah, I, I was it killed me because we just got spanked by Dungey every <laughs> single round.
2: <laughs> right,
0: it
1: just killed me that that I was racing a guy that I used to just spank myself. Right, right. And all of a sudden, I've missed two years, and this guy is just like drilling me into the ground, and I, was, I couldn't, I couldn't. And I lived in this literally in the same street as him, like the street I lived on. Yeah. There's about six houses, and I had to drive past his house every day. And I think that guy just absolutely thrashed me.
2: <laughs>
0: and
1: I, I, I was I was training hard, like I wasn't right. And due to the due to the accident, I wasn't in the form I was in '07. Yeah. But it wasn't, you know, I was doing my motors, I had a, pri- a private track to ride on, fully watered. You know, I had a practice mechanic who took care of everything. I put a lot of effort into the other thing. I think overall, I got what what i was paid i spent in terms of practice mechanic
0: yeah, yeah.
1: I, I didn't make a dollar and i didn't come out um if, if i'd done well i could have made some big money <laughs> you got one of those yeah. those uh, insurance bonus yeah. systems yeah. and i could have made some huge money if i'd done a lot better but obviously <laughs> i didn't get too many podiums but uh yeah i spent i spent everything i could on my racing for 10 because i was trying to relaunch my career like i wanted right. to Relaunch myself so that I could just race outdoors in America, mm-hmm. and be in a position where I could um, earn some good money, but then have the lifestyle of being in New Zealand, and and you know, and so on. Yeah. So um, you know, I, I put everything I could into that 2010 season, and to get beaten by the way we did by Dungey every single round was demoralising. <laughs> it made me it made me despise the guy for a while.
2: Right, right, right. Um, and then from what I understand, and talking to Ping.
1: I mean, because I had a close relationship with RV, he would come to those races. He had his ACL. And that's his ACL, right. which when he Yeah, ACL, and he would come to the races and we would laugh and joke about it because he was just absolutely destroying us and oh, he would yeah. give me a lot of shit.
2: Oh, yeah, he, he's the same. Yeah, exactly. He's the same guy. We all know him. Um, I can just imagine rubbing his hands together, laughing at you that you can't beat him. And yeah, exactly. He,
1: yeah, Kneeled yeah. <laughs> yeah. over beside you. Right. Come on, DT.
2: <laughs> um. And then from talking to Ping, uh, you're, you're, in twenty eleven, you just the CLS Cowie team, the money was just so good. You ha- you were kind of forced to go back to Europe. Not forced, like that's the wrong word. But you you wanted to stay back in America. Troy Lee wanted you back. Everything was looking good, but the CLS guys threw some money at you, so it was back to Europe for you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, was, it was it was all through Lakewood, to be honest with you. Like I had not re-signed really with. Um, Obviously, I'm not. When you're racing outdoors only, you're not at the top of everyone's list, and surely, right. especially when you're not winning every national as well. So, I wasn't at the top of the list. But yeah, it was all looking pretty. Um, I wasn't concerned, but I was keen to go back to PLD, and uh, and there was a couple of things that I wanted them to do, which mm-hmm. we were sort of. It was a, it was sort of stalled out um, our negotiations in terms of I wanted someone that was um, more of a head technician mm-hmm. at, at, under our team and. In terms of you know engine and suspension, just yeah. with that 450, you're not you can have whatever you what do whatever you want to a 250, and you will get a good rider can jump on and you know the bars could be back to front and the engine upside down and you will still ride a 250 wide open, wide
2: open yeah.
1: and you could do what you want with it. but 450 is not the case, you know, and I, I felt like I needed someone to under under our awning that could then take what we had from Pro Circuit and and really gel it and massage it into place for me. So that right. was a little bit of a stalling point for me. And then the CLS thing came along and it was yeah, it was really good night. So um it was, you know, I, I sort of thought long and hard about it and mm-hmm. and, you know, probably the nail in the coffin for me was at Thunder Valley, mm-hmm. uh, I, the first motor I won in the M X three class and I I you know, I beat yeah. Meet everyone um, I mean, you know, yeah. Guys like DeSalle and, and uh, I don't correlate really been M X one but yeah, I was DeSalle. there or thereabouts. Yeah. In terms of speed with the with the guys that were winning in Europe, you know, yeah. I felt like um if with a good opportunity like I had placed in front of me, why wouldn't I go back and then, um look at, you know, trying to trying to finish out my career running winning world championships. And mm-hmm. so that was Basically, what the what the decision was placed upon, you know, finances aside, it was great financial deal. But yeah. you know, I was in a position where I could go back and um, challenge Cairoli for for championship. So yeah, yeah, that's when I made the decision that was late in 2010 to race for CLS and in, uh, in Europe again in 2011.
2: Yeah. And it was also Harry Nolte too, a guy that we talked about earlier. He was running it or a big part yeah. of it, so that you know, he yeah, had a big
1: influence. Big influence in the decision, you know, for me. That was, that was a guy I was looking at to have, um, you know, as a part of my team and with PLD. you know, I thought that was something, you know, someone like that is what I was alluding to before. So yeah, he was a big part of it for sure. And, um, yeah, then that was just, that was really the start of the end when that happened. Um, not, not due to the team.
0: Yeah. But I
1: came home and, that's um, that's when Chad had his Australian series. He wasn't racing, and they looked. They um, they invited me with some decent start money to race a couple of rounds. Mm-hmm. And I had a big, got well, a decent crash, and I dislocated my hip.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, so and then I got back from that, and I had a huge concussion. About three months later, I broke my jaw, and uh, and was unconscious for quite a while. And, yeah. yeah so I had two major injuries within about four months of each other so in a, just in an off season uh, in terms of you know from yeah. going from Colorado until the start of the first g p which was must have been April, I had two huge injuries, and um that really affected me at that point
2: yeah we saw the, I saw the crash on the in Australian series it was kind of like a I forget the obstacle, but you kind of flew off the back and, and flew through the air it was a gnarly crash the one that you did your hip in, and then what did you do, if you even remember, uh, what did you do on the Cali before the season? What, what 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 happened to...
1: Yeah, I don't know. I don't really know. My yeah. dad doesn't... He was pit-boarding me. I, I had my own track at home, yep. um, and it was a jump that was freshly built, and I came out of a turn, and we think, we think, oh, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah. It's not clear at all to me, but uh, we think that as I went towards the jump, I've either got cross-rutted, and as I as I took off I've break and just come up way short and hit my head on a crossbar and then fly oh, okay. off or some, something like that. And, yeah, yeah obviously, um, when you break a break jaw, it's obviously fairly likely you're going to have a, a head injury. Yeah, but, yeah, it was yeah. a major one, major head injury, and uh, sort of affected me a lot.
2: You are... Uh yeah, well, you know what? I you know, fun- never
1: had a head injury at that uh, until that point in time. So, yeah, um, you know, that was something that, that that sort of I never had to deal with at all, with he ended up with concussion or yeah. anything at all. So it's um, took me a while to get over that.
2: Well, you know, talking to Ryan Morris. Remember Trey Trey Canard landed on Ryan Morris a few years back uh, in Dodger Stadium. Do you, yeah. remember, do you remember the crash? Talking to Ryan now. Yeah, yeah. Works for actually. Kate.
1: I've never actually properly watched it because I can't bear to <laughs> watch stuff like that these yeah. days. Yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't, hate watching it crashes. I don't blame you. Ever since I hit my head, it's just yeah. It's, um. Yeah. It hasn't. It has really affected me in terms of watching someone else fall on the ground. It, it yeah. Actually stops my heart if I do see something like that.
2: Jeez. Yeah. Talking to Ryan, like he he had a few concussions before, but that one after that one which was really big. You know, he had to take medication. Lights hurt him. Uh, His mood was easily changed. He was irritable. Um, It really affected his life. He's back 100% now, but for, he said, two years, man, uh, that head head injury really affected him, everything. So people don't understand this kind of stuff. You can't fool around with it, you know? Like, it's serious. No, and I didn't fool
1: around with it. Like, I took my... Timers mm-hmm. and like what I was told by doctors and and all the specialist help that I could get my hands on and I'd and that and I still don't think even at the even to this day I still don't think it affects me with my mood you know oh, if yeah. you
0: yeah.
1: if you talk to my wife I'm I'm not the same person in terms of my uh nature and you know mm-hmm. and my 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 string's a lot shorter my fuse so <laughs> yeah. it's a lot shorter and Uh, It really, yeah, it it did affect me largely. Um, So I'm going back to what I said about, you know, taking the time that I needed So I followed all the orders, Mm -hmm. you know, in terms of coming blockers and I made sure, you know, in terms of if you break a bone, you can push it a bit, you know, it comes down to, you know, the bone's healed, but you've got to deal with the pain aspect of it. Head injury, you have no idea what's going on, you know, it's zero idea. And so when I did finally return to racing, it, Scared the living shit out of me. I'd line up on the start line and, and be thinking, I do not want to be going to that. I had no problem riding on my own and practicing and testing.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, I
1: lined up at St. John Dandeley and like, looked at all the people standing around the track and, and, mm-hmm. and like, I was just terrified to go into the first. And I did that race and um, didn't really tell anyone about it because that was my first return to racing at the time. Yeah. Never told anyone about it really. And then I uh, went to the next GP and I was just like, I left the start gate, let everyone go, pulled into the pits, and said, oh, I, "I can't race at the moment. which just I've a mental issue with being on the start line with wow. forty other guys going into a space that's allowed us, you uh-huh. know, five bikes wide." And, and I just, yeah, I wasn't ready for it. Really, uh-huh. wasn't ready for it. So I, I um, told the guys I needed some time, and fortunately, everyone really respected that. Um, yeah. Especially the guys at CLS. Uh, you know, that, that was obviously a major investment. Um, on, on their behalf to have me and
0: yeah.
1: it was a major letdown. But at the end of the day my health came before before any of that in terms of what I was dealing with and, mm-hmm. and at the time I said I just I don't know what's gonna happen from here going forward. Um but I'm not, not willing to put my life on the line at that point in time and especially if you're on a motorcycle and as a professional, you know, you go into that start line and um it doesn't matter if you're the best guy there. Or, you know, in 10th place, you're all gunning for that first turn at the same time. And, uh, yeah. you know, it's, you don't have a roll cage around you. You don't just get, you know, you don't roll down the track and then are allowed to just undo your seatbelt <laughs> and, and get out of the thing. It's not like that in our sport. No. So, yeah, it's, uh, I made that decision at the time just to basically um, pull the pin on her and just put her on hold until I felt comfortable again. And then, yeah, the next time I raced was wants to cut
2: yeah a uh, hard decision for you man that yeah that that's but it's in some way who knows maybe you saved yourself i mean not to be over- dramatic, but let's say you keep racing and your mind's not there, and you know you end up in a wheelchair or or worse because you wanna you know justify this contract with c l s and you you wanna prove everybody you're wrong uh it takes some balls to to do what you did.
1: Yeah, and I—I had—I I'd, you I'd straight from straight from my heart. I had no problem doing it. You know, yeah, yeah. I was absolutely up, upfront, and honest about it. You know, or within a few days, at least, anyway, you know, I did that first race, and I, I didn't really say much about it. But I, I actually did do the race, and that's where it comes down to what you just spoke about in terms of my mindset. It was like, what? What happens if I keep racing here and mm-hmm. something major happens? I'll—I'll I'll, I'll never forgive myself for yeah. for not being, you know from not making uh, my own decision, basically. And, um, yeah, that's what it came down to. And, and um, I look back, and, and I'm happy I made that decision. At the end of the day, no no contract. doesn't matter how big or small it is. It's yeah. worth that if you're not comfortable doing something.
2: No, absolutely. And there was one point, too, you were going to fill in for Chad on his team, but you got hurt again. And, uh, yeah, it's yeah. unfortunate. But I remember we were getting ready for a BT comeback part three, to, uh to the summer nationals but
1: uh yeah yeah i um like so after that uh I raced the monster Energy Cup, that was the first one and and it, I did really well there, and uh, enjoyed myself and was you know back in, in a good frame of mind and
0: mm-hmm.
1: then i uh sort of was talking to Jeff Ward about coming and and racing nationals and uh you know that's when in early day stages of what he was doing and to them, and then I talked to Valley again, and I kind of sort of just made a decision in the, uh, that I wanted to uh, do yeah, racing in Australia and New Zealand, get myself, um, you know, uh, create a, a base again for my racing, Basically, I was down yeah. only what, 27 at the time, I think, yeah. I remember, and uh, just create a good base, you know, of racing, just, you know, go racing week in, week out. And, uh, um, and enjoy it again. So that was the decision, the decision, and I should have stuck to that decision. <laughs> and then, you know, Chad got injured and, and, uh, all of a sudden, you know, he's keen to have me race there. And, um, then I just put so much emphasis on actually, here's this opportunity. Just don't, don't go in under prepared So yeah. I, I raced every single lap of every Moto at the races I could here, just as hard as I could to make sure I'd be prepared. Mm-hmm. And in all honesty, I mean, it's so easy to say this uh, in words, but I was the best prepared at that time I'd ever been in my career to go racing. I was, in my mind, I was coming there with that team and that bike because I was it was a 2012 bike and um, I can easily say that was my favourite bike of all 450s I, I've ridden. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay. And um, I loved it. And I was coming over there. i had a really good off season and, and in terms of, you know, I'd raced in New Zealand all summer. I think I'd lost one single Moto. And not that I was racing, you know, a lot of guys, but when you race guys in, in their own country, they're fast, you know. So right. I had Cody all of the time, and Josh was still racing at the time. And, yeah, so I was ready to go for that national season and um, put way too much emphasis on. I'm just trying to go too fast, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, how it could be such a different scenario if, uh, if I'd, um, you know, hadn't pushed so hard and ended up, uh, you yeah, know, dislocating my hip again.
2: Oh, it was. The well, hip- I made a real
1: mess of it the second time. It had destroyed mm. some of the. Wow. Destroyed some of my hip joint, and they had to rebuild it, and it was a bit of a mess.
2: Talking to MC and other guys that have done that, it's the most painful thing ever. You agree?
1: No. <laughs> I- Terrible way. It's terrible. It's <laughs> this, this, the first thing is on both times I because I did it twice. Right. And the Reason I probably did it the second time is because um, it was it was weak still, um, um, but okay. it was always going to be. Come come to find out after the second one. But uh, <laughs> when you're lying there on the ground, uh, it's uh, you. You go to move and you can't and the first thing that goes through your mind is, Oh shit, I'm paralysed And oh. because you're probably in an awkward position, yeah, you can't move your leg and you're like you're trying to stand up and you're like, What's going on? At that point at point in time there's no pain. Absolutely zero pain and then and then you can't move and you try to move and then you work out you can move your right leg and you're like, Oh, oh
2: yeah.
1: yeah. Uh yeah, this must be a, a major Oh. Sort of leg or hip yeah. injury, yeah. and then the pain starts, and then the pain is yeah it's horrendous pain
0: yeah. and what
1: gets worse is they try and put it back in and right. it's, you know it takes a major major force to put a to put a hip in and out of the socket it's oh. I'm talking huge force I don't actually know specifically <laughs> in numbers right. but I had two dudes pulling off me. And they couldn't do
2: it. Oh man! Oh so, yeah. yeah, that that that
1: part of it is no, I, so, yeah, yeah you're, you're... I was pretty um pretty lucky. I was on that much drugs the second time that I don't remember it. So I'm I'm pretty thankful for
2: that. Yeah, you're the th- third or fourth person has told me dislocating the hip is just shoot me, just just shoot me. It's worse than anything. <laughs> yeah. Um, hey, do you yeah. uh do you ever? I mean, you said earlier you're not a guy to have regrets. You're not. You don't live like that. But do you wonder sometimes, no. like, why did I get hurt so much? Like, what was it? Because, man, you know, if we're 10 years from now, we're compiling a list. You know, and now I'm in the media and stuff. So 10 years from now, we're compiling a list of what could have been. Uh, you you know, you won a world title and you won a 250 Supercross title. But what could have been is Ben Townley could have been multi-multi-time champion, if not for injuries. Do you think like that? Does it Does it keep you awake at night? Do, do you ever... You you are know, you pissed off at the world sometimes at at the amount that you got hurt and how you know you we really didn't see you at one hundred percent too many too many times.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'd be lying if I if I said um, if I lying I, I said I wasn't. Uh, yeah, put a lot of focus on my my kids and my family these days. To mm-hmm. be honest with you, and uh, and yeah, it is it is hard to accept it, especially mm-hmm. when I look at guys like Kyle Rowley and what he's done. Right. Um, I think, I think should, should I have ever, uh, should I have ever gone to America? And not, I'm not saying that injuries happen because of America. I'm not no, at all, yeah. yeah. Yep. No, look at what he's done in the sport and, and that. And I've, you know, I've spoken to my wife about it, and um, probably if, if I if I let's just go back to that what well, the point I made then. If I hadn't gone to America, mm-hmm. I probably would have regretted that as well. You know, I would have thought why why did I not do that? That was my dream. I had the opportunity. Yeah. Um, I, why did I not do it? So I'm I'm happy in the decision I made. From that point of view, is that I've done I've done a lot in my career. That um, you I know, raced all over the world. Mm-hmm. I've had you know, a lot of success. All that success has been financial success as well. So it's put me
0: yep.
1: in a position that I would have never imagined racing motorcycles would have put me. In. You know, I didn't set out to do that when I had the tr- dreams as a young teenager that. I had no idea that you could, you know, have financial reward from racing around in, in circles on and dirt, you know, and getting mm-hmm. getting dirty. So, uh, from that side of it, yeah, it's um it's been great. You know, I think it's a great sport. Uh, you know, I, I grew up; my whole family was involved in it. You know, I would say ninety percent of my friendships are somewhere associated to my <laughs> sport. It's right. a it's a great sport. You know, and you anyone you don't have to be. You don't have to be a champion to attest to that, you know. So, yeah. so wonderful, you know, sport to be involved with on that side of it, and especially, you know, as a kid growing up and and the way my family was involved with it, that was it was really cool. You know, I wasn't in that amateur scene, I guess, where there was a lot of pressure. And you know, I just enjoyed riding a bike, and I was good at it, type of thing. You know, so <laughs> I loved it. But looking back at my career in terms of what you know, you know what what you're suggesting, yeah, it is it is hard for me to to look back at and um, in terms of you know what happened I put it down to the fact that I just actually uh, I tried too hard all of the time to, yeah. to be very good you know and um, that that goes back to my very first injury uh, in America with my ACL I was I remember it quite vividly I was uh, we were going to motos and RC was coming up to lap me, and that, <laughs> that goes back a the <laughs> and the conversation of how um, how how slow or,
0: yeah.
1: or how fast I was at the time. But um,
0: right.
1: I brain fade trying so hard to, to do the best I could, um, you know, yeah. in, in that environment. And I needed to seek out to jump, and I didn't. I forgot all about it. Yeah. Massive crash cartwheel, there's an ACL. You know, I would have been yeah. better off to not jumped that jump and made it to the first round. Um, yep. Same thing before, you know, the opportunity with Chad Reed. And I was putting so much emphasis on being ready for hand count where really at the end of the day there are no points paid for hand count when I, made, when I had that dislocated my hips. Um, right. So I just, I tried way too hard all the time to put so much emphasis on my on my riding and my preparation and really I should have backed the, backed the foot off the throat a lot more and actually, been at the events and, and made the progress through my racing. But uh, I guess I had the mindset of always
0: mm-hmm.
1: wanting to win, wanting to do everything as good as I could. And at the end of the day, um, yeah, it was it was not the right approach to my racing, and um, that's a shame. But but you know, life still goes on. And like I said, I've got I've got a great family, and I'm still you know mm-hmm. I'm still fairly healthy. <laughs> the my medication a few years, but, uh, you, know, you know, I'm fairly healthy, and
2: yeah.
1: um, I can't really complain a lot, to be honest, apart from the fact that all the injuries were, they were through my decisions. It's not like yeah. I, I ran through a stop sign and, and someone collided into me, you know, it's, or, yeah. or, or someone else ran through a stop sign and, right. and collided into me at an intersection. You know, I had control of 99% of my injuries um, that happened to me, and... At the end of the day, you know, I only answerable to myself and, and decisions I made. Which, um, which is a shame, you know. But at yeah. time, it is what it is.
2: Uh, how much do you? No, I think it's well said. Well said. And yeah, you're right. You know what? Your the drive that you had to always push yourself is what won you a lot of races, also. And so there's there's a balance there. And in the end, it bit you a few times. But it absolutely. also, yeah, it also helped yeah, you. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, how much do you follow the racing uh over here now? And how much do you talk to Mitch or R V or anybody? Like are you uh do you follow it? Are you up on it and, and uh and how much do you talk to these anybody over here?
1: Uh yeah, I I speak to a few people in Europe and in uh in America. I'm pretty as a lot of people tell you, I'm terrible at keeping in contact. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I'm I'm terrible. But I do speak to Mitch, um probably more than Probably anyone. Um, mm-hmm. I speak to much. I uh, obviously had a really good relationship with him. He um, gave me a lot of advice whether I was racing with him or not, and that was due to the relationship we had um, from the outset of, uh, of you know, my my start in America and and um, mm-hmm. giving me that you know the opportunity and being there. So yeah, I still talk to him every now and then, and, and um, obviously take an interest in all of international racing. I love it. You know, yeah. I'm. I, I love the fact that I can uh, sit here and, and enjoy, you know, enjoy it from the comfort of my my couch. Although sure, sometimes I I, I want to be out there, but yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. it's uh, yeah, I do take a lot of interest in, and I think for me personally, especially the Supercross, it's uh, it's such a, a mainstream type of sport these days, mm-hmm. and the fact that we do have more winners, and that's the one thing that mm-hmm. I I have quite a big opinion on for our sport. We we need more winners for our sport to grow because at the moment you know if you look at what how how our our sport sort of um you know the way that it, it usually goes as you mm-hmm. start the season, there's a lot of hype. five people can win yeah. or even more sometimes than that can win, and then you know a couple get injured and then mm-hmm. fall you know fall off the wayside then another one gets injured, and all of a sudden we've only got one or two guys. That's not. I always compare it to NASCAR because it's a motorsport, yeah. and it is tough because you know that we don't have cages, you know, around ourselves like I said before. But you always, you never know who's going to win, mm-hmm. uh, and I love that about about. Um, I don't really enjoy NASCAR for for you know the NASCAR aspect because you know I didn't grow up with with cars just racing around in, yeah. in a circle, but the fact that. 10 guys on any given day can win an, win an event, I think is great for the sport. And yep. it would be, I think, of a major benefit. I know a lot of other guys would um, think this is crazy, but if we simplified our tracks in mm-hmm. Supercross, yep. I think we our sport could grow even bigger than what it is because the fact that only two or three guys can win on any given night yeah. um, is not that great for our sport sometimes. I, I, I guess the technicality of big whoops and timings and rhythms and that for the competitors and especially the likes of, you know, the, your Stewarts and your Reeds and your Potos and people mm-hmm. like that, you know, that's great. But at the same time for our sport to grow bigger, if more people won, I think it would, it yeah. would help our sport. That's my personal opinion. on it Anyway.
2: And I think you're right. It would help teams get sponsorship and that keeps everybody healthy, you know? Um, and the media too. I'm, I'm, I cover a lot of different riders. I, I I do exclude myself from this, but the media has a tendency to not talk about the guys in fifteenth. I try to, and I think I do a good job of it. But a lot you of you have media... hit the
1: nail. You have hit the nail on the head there with with media in terms of well, really, it's very hard to 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 not focus on the guys that are winning because there's mm-hmm. only. There's only two or three or, you know, four guys sometimes that aren't winning and they are major profiles in the sport. So the gap just widens there. You know, they get more exposure. They're winning. There's a lot more, you know, success financially for them. So the the gap widens here. They, they have motorhomes, they have practice tracks. I've been there. I've been a part of it. You know, they, you have everything you do and then that allows you to be even better. Right, right, <laughs> and right. And that right, guy right. that's not really that's sort of on the cusp of that he can never have him. And, and you, you, I'm not saying that it can't be done with, by by any means. You know, if you've yeah. got this sheer determination, and we'll we'll make it happen without a doubt. But the, the, I just believe the gap is is a little um, oh, yeah, no, a little uh, one sided there.
2: We got. I've I've always said this. James Stewart, Ryan Villapoto, they're making five million dollars plus a year, and they should be making the most mm. money because they're the best riders. But a guy in tenth, Kyle Chisholm, is making thirty grand. He's nine spots yeah. worse, uh, <laughs> you know, and he's <laughs> if, ma- you, if
1: you compare, if you compare NASCAR or baseball or basketball with that, yeah, it's not comparable. It's not even. It's not even in the ballpark. No. It, you can't even compare it at all. It's not comparable. So that's where I think our uh, yeah, our sport could really. Deal with some type of change, um, I don't know how or, or, or you know where, where yeah. to start with that, but um, yeah, just uh, it would be interesting to see if we could add some balance to it from from that perspective, would be um, interesting to see,
2: no doubt about it. Well, hey, I, I kept you a lot longer than I said I was going to, but uh, good uh, good talk, uh, BT, we really appreciate you doing this. Uh, the BTO Sports.com Racer X podcast presented by Fox Racing. Ben Townley, thank you, man. appreciate it. Uh, people uh, understand where you're coming from, what happened. Still a great career no matter how you shake it. World champion, 250 Supercross champion, and, uh, yeah, no doubt about it, one of the best riders. Uh, when healthy, one of the best riders. Well, I, th- I thank you for doing this.
1: Yeah, cool. I uh, enjoyed it, and I hope, uh, hope everyone listening has enjoyed it. And uh, Yeah, might um, see them sometime sitting in the stands having a beer at
2: an <laughs> Right. Great. Thank you very much, Ben. Appreciate it.
1: this has been the btosports.com podcast show presented by fox racing
0: Seven-time
2: Jeremy McGrath. I was so mad, like so disappointed and so frustrated that I pulled fifth and I left. Every point counts. I could kick myself to
1: this day for not just riding around in tents. it It's been no problem. My, my ego got in the way, you know. The o show Johnny O'Mara. Stuff that you could you sit there if you didn't even want to ride it, you just wanted to just look at it all day. I mean, I got a chance to test all that. I like that era I was in. I really do.